Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. This is the Pitchfork Review, the show about the musicians we're obsessed with and the albums you need to know right now. So today we're going to talk about a few albums that recently got our best new music stamp. Over the course of a year, we review about 1,200 albums and only a handful, maybe 40 to 50, get that best new music designation from our staff. It's something that we are very, very thoughtful about, and it's a marker of something that we really love and that we want you to hear. And with me now is our reviews editor, Jeremy Larson. Jeremy, I feel like one of the best parts of our jobs is when someone is making the case for a best new music or a B&M. They are putting their life on the line and... <laughs> <laughs> saying that this must be receiving the vaunted red circle. Now, I I do like talking about whether or not an album is B&M because it is not a specific science. Yeah. There is not a rubric that we don't like pull out a protractor and measure it and be like, all right, totally. it, it is. Um, there's a lot of different facets that go into it. For me, a question I like to ask of the album, which is, is this going to be important five years from now, mm -hmm. right? Like it's not only timelessness, but timeliness. And then the other mark of that is just, what do we want to get behind? What do yeah. we as Pitchfork want to throw our weight behind? And we will get into all of that later on. So in just a minute, longtime staff writer Madison Bloom will be joining us to talk about some of our recent best new music and favorite albums of the year. So one of the perks of being at Pitchfork is just the insane amount of music that we have access to. And it can be a little bit overwhelming to think about so much music and so many different kinds of music from a critical perspective and also just as a fan. But it's also incredible and like the most exciting thing to discover something that fully blows you away. And sometimes a B&M or a Best New Music Marker is our way of saying that other people really need to discover a new band, too. So while we're passionate about, you know, the Fiona Apples and the Beyonce's of the world, it's really meaningful for Pitchfork to support indie and rising artists with that same passion. I'm kind of thinking about releases like Lorraine's Fatigue or Rouge Aftab's Vulture Prince from recent years, and then watching their star rise. And Jeremy, I feel like that is something that you have really tried to get across, too, with the review section. Yeah, it's all about striking a balance, you know. So a lot of these are still, like, developing their sound. And, um, you know, a, sometimes, like, a B&M can come to a band's debut album where we're like, 
holy shit, that they appeared fully formed and this band is like coming out of the gate super strong. Those are rare. Mm-hmm. And the bands that we're going to be talking about today, I think it's both of their third albums, um, which is interesting. But yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to sort of talk about the different reasons why we give B&Ms, like whether they're becoming a little bit more experimental or whether they're just getting a little bit bigger or maybe they have a chance to cross over or they're coming into their own. A lot of those different little phrases kind of apply to a band getting a B&M. But they're also an indication of importance within current context. And then, as you've said before, Jeremy, timelessness. And they're things that feel exciting and innovative and progressive to their sound or their community or their genre or to developing and expanding a canon. And I'm curious to hear what, you know, when you're thinking about it, what does it mean for you? It's something I haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. And when you amplify that and talk about that and figure out how that is reacting to what else is happening in the broader music ecosystem, that to me creates a really fun, critical argument that you can make for a band. So we've got two albums to talk about today. One is by an indie favorite who's come back with something really beautiful and feels like a best-in-class album for them. And then another is by a newer band whose experimentation has made them a big artist to watch for us. And here to get into both of those records with us is Madison Bloom, one of Pitchfork staff writers. Hey, Madison. Hey, how's it going? So each of you have brought an album to kind of present to us as one of your favorites of the recent past, um, a best new music for the site. Jeremy, let's start with you. What did you bring to the table? Oh my God, I brought Always (laughs) Blue Rev. It's probably my favorite album of the year. It's an album that I've spent a ton of time with. Um, I wrote the review, so I sort of had to spend a lot of time with it. And the highest praise that I can give an album is that when I'm done writing about it, I still want to keep listening to it. Mm -hmm. And I, I put it on the other day and was like, I am not sick of any of these songs. I could gush about it, but what do you think? You Do you like this album? Are you a fan? Yeah, I mean, the band has been around for a long time, and their song, Archie Marry Me, kind of became this indie classic. But... This sounds like something completely different and something that I definitely fell in love with, in part because, Jeremy, you were telling me to fall in love with it (laughs) as often as you possibly could. I am nothing if not the Yenta of Pitchfork, trying to (laughs) matchmake people with different (laughs) bands. Um, You know, in their first album, their self-titled album from 2014, they were kind of working with... I don't know what I'd call the the sort of C86 sound, which was indie pop, bedroom pop, sort of jangle pop. Mm-hmm. But one of, I would say, always his biggest influences and references and something that they've talked about is this band called Lush. And if you take the song, one of one of my favorite Lush songs is called Sweetness and Light. listen to that song uh, and you sort of compare it to what was happening on their first record, you were sort of like, okay, great. This band is taking from a lot of like UK bands that are on this label 4AD and turning it into this sort of nice, 
little shoegazy, a little dreamy, reverb heavy, soaked in feeling sound. Uh-huh. Just very indie rock on 2014. And I think uh-huh. Antisocialites, that came out in 2017. I wouldn't say it was a big leap forward. I think they refined their sound and they had a really big hit off that record, which remains one of my favorite. And it's a song called Dreams Tonight. But I would say that Blue Rev, which was recorded sort of over the pandemic, and it kind of took like five years basically to come together. This was their step up album. Yeah, absolutely. Finally, this band is given their proper due of what they can do. Mm -hmm. I think they were so refined and contained in their first two albums. And now all of a sudden, here they are, busted wide open, this huge field of pop and production. And you can finally see like who they really are. And that's what like made me really excited about this album from the first spin. All right. So for those who aren't familiar with the band, could you tell me a little bit about who they are? Like, where are they from? Who's in the band? What's their origin story? Yeah, so um, the main singer-songwriter uh, who you'll hear on the album is Molly Rankin. She's from Toronto. Uh, she's actually a scion of this famous Canadian band, the Rankin Family, mm-hmm. uh, which was sort of this like Celtic band. If you're from Canada, you know them. Yes. She's sort of from this sort of musical royalty, Canadian royalty, not to diminish it, but still. And, <laughs> and she, I'm so sorry. Uh, she works with her songwriting partner, Alex O'Hanley. And they're sort of the two main songwriters in the group. So you were talking about the expectation of this band or kind of what how they felt contained before and now they've blown themselves wide open in the best possible way. And we love this record. You reviewed the record for the site. And there was a lot of conversation about how you describe them as a power pop band. So much so that I'm, I'm, you know, breaking a secret code of silence here, but so much so that Amy reached out to you and was like... Amy, our managing editor. And was like, Jeremy... What are the indie rockers saying about you calling this a power pop record? (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Uh, All right. Clear the decks. Give me a second here. So (laughs) here's the thing. I have a deep and abiding love of power pop. It is probably one of my favorite genres of music. It's got guitars. It's got melodies. It's very focused on the idea of harmony and pop music, but having a little extra oomph to it. And I would say like it's mostly rock focused bands like the Go-Go's, the new pornographers is sort of a newer version of it. Super Chunk, which is more like a pop punk mm-hmm. version of it. But what I wanted to talk about here with Power Pop, and if you'll excuse me, because I think this may be, uh, I don't think it is, but some of you might think this is a radical definition of Power Pop, but I'm here <laughs> To tell you to just like listen to me, me. to just say is that power pop is not a sound, it's a construction. All right. You can't describe power pop as just like jangly guitars, some harmonies in the chorus. Like that's one aspect of it. But power pop is about how a song is built. Right. So people are talking about this always Blue Rev record is that, oh, they're in their shoegaze phase, which is fine. And I totally understand Mm -hmm. it. But this is not a shoegaze record. This is a record that is full of intricately constructed and thoughtful song arrangements. 
That's what power pop is about. It's about the details that go into a song. It's about the bridges. It's about how you go into the chorus. It's how you come out of the chorus. It's how you attach on a coda. It's all of these things. It's when the guitar solo comes in. It's when to know like when you want to take the the hook up an octave. All of these things like that's to me what power pop is. It's the structure and construction of a song and that is what I think Blue Rev does so well. You heard it here. Don't call Jeremy Larson a rockist. He is a poptimist through and through. Thank you. Um, Madison, coming to this record without a thesis, <laughs> what was your take on listening to this record? Yeah, I mean, this record to me was just like an undeniable knockout the second I heard it. Mm-hmm. I-, I like albums that you can listen to on different levels where you can like have this on in a group of people and kind of just pick up these like transcendent melodies that are happening and really like recognizing mm-hmm. this as incredibly effective pop music but then if you listen to it you know i was listening to it walking around on like a sunny day with headphones and it's like good luck doing that and trying to not like start running and leaping like to contain your <laughs> to contain your body in that moment let's talk about the writing on the album because we previously talked about how it's a, like a songwriter's album Also, one of my favorite songs is Belinda Says, which feels like it is like just like stunning in both of its simplicity and its directness. Jeremy, I know you have a lot of feelings about this. Well, yeah, you know, that song in particular, I think Molly said in an interview that she originally wanted it to be a country song. Which makes complete sense. It makes complete sense because there's a huge big old honking key change at the end of it. But, you know, it's there's a line in the song that references Belinda Carlisle's Heaven is a Place on Earth. I think Molly says, Belinda says, Heaven is a place on Earth, but so is hell. And I love and I love that she doesn't rhyme it. I love that she just sort of lets it sort of hang and holds out that note. It takes my breath away, really. (laughs) But it's but it's a song that's like not really happy. It's not really about like feeling happy. It's sort of about feeling uncertain. Right. Moving Mm -hmm. to the country, going to have this baby, see how it goes. Mm -hmm. It's all about uncertainty, but it's written with such confidence that you can't help but feel overwhelmed by it. I think that lines like heaven is a place on earth and so is hell is pretty like it's direct. It's clever. It's witty. Um, Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. She's really good at like quipping in a way that demands the point, you know? Well, I think the two sides of this, too, right, is that like, okay, the album is named Blue Rev, which is named after the Four Loco of Canada. (laughs) But then the other side of that is that Rev can be French for dream, right? And so there are these sort of teenage sort of uh, where let's get fucked up on malt beverage side. Mm-hmm. And then there's this more mature. What happens when you sort of leave all that behind and start to dream about the future and like what exists between those two spaces? Like it sounds a little like Mazzy Star. If you're a Mazzy mm. Star fan, it sounds mm-hmm. a little like their contemporaries around Archie Marry Me, like Lower Dens and the New Tropics era. And it also could sit next to Japanese breakfast if it wanted to. You know, it's it's kind of touching all of those points at once for me. Yes, 
I totally agree. And I think like that's also the timeliness of it, right? Like mm-hmm. it sounds like it's it sounds like it's an album for these times. Before we leave this album, I would love to hear just a favorite song or the thing that you would recommend to someone who hasn't heard this band to get them sold. All right. I would put on Pomeranian Spinster. What a title. Because, yeah, right? Uh, it is a rave up <laughs> in the term of music writers. It is a verbose and just wild trip. And at the end of the song, a guitar solo comes in. And if you're not lifted up off of your feet when that happens, like, I'm sorry. I, 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 I don't feel bad, but I'm just I'm, I'm personally very sorry. <laughs> Check your pulse. <laughs> Anyway, that's what I would put on. Pomeranian Spinster. Really great like rock song from this album. Madison, do you have a pick? Um, honestly, Pharmacist is such a strong opening song. Like I couldn't believe kind of when the volume cranks up in that opening moment is just undeniable. All right. Well, everybody should listen to Always Blue Rev. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about a punk act from New Orleans that has possibly made one of the best dance records of the year. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're back with some of the best new music from indie bands this year. And Madison, who have you got for us to listen to? I have a band called Special Interest who are out of New Orleans. Yes. The, the sound of their name alone yes. is, is cause for excitement. <laughs> yeah, where to begin? I mean, the members are kind of from all over. The lead vocalist, Ali Logout, who's this absolute badass powerhouse. They are from rural Texas, and they met you know, the rest of the bandmates kind of in the DIY punk scene in New Orleans. Ruth Muskelly, who's the keyboard player, rolled into New Orleans on a train with a banjo and was like kind of this folk punk person. Uh And then, you know, there's Nathan Cassiani, who's the bassist, who played in punk bands around New Orleans, and I believe also in Oakland prior to that. Maria Elena Delgado is their guitar player. And then I think they also had like a power drill in the mix. That was like their thing. Uh-huh. Um, and they were uh-huh. trying to kind of make like electronic or electronic punk hybrid music a la the Screamers, who were like this early first wave LA punk band in the 70s. Their first record was this album called Spiraling from 2018, which is 
it's good, but it's a lot more straightforward punk music. It's it's kind of rough and dirty. Mm -hmm. It's aggressive. But on their last album, they really stepped up quite a bit because they started adding all these elements of industrial techno and noirish disco. Like this song, Street Pulse Beat, off the 2020 album was a big favorite. I feel a like. Jam. Yeah, it's remarkable. Tell me what you want to, baby. And it feels like that was the indication of what might come from them. I think it was the standout song for us off of that album. Not only can Ali like be a really effective punk front person and be just gorgeously vicious and intense and like scare the living shit out of you, but they also have this like incredible deep soul vocal that can really lend itself to pop music and this record has a lot like mm -hmm. one if not two like full-blown pop songs on it like the lead single was Midnight Legend which they released with Mickey Blanco verse and then honestly my favorite song on the album is called Herman's House which is mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. kind of like a punk disco song One of my favorite parts of it is like there's this incredible synth squeal like right before they go into the chorus and it like really contrasts nicely with Ollie's like really raspy voice and um, I don't know. How do you guys feel about that song? Because I feel like it's one of my favorites. Yeah. I would say like yeah. it's a huge standout on the record. So Herman's House, I mean, it's it's an ode to yes. Herman Wallace, who was one of the Angola like three black revolutionaries who had held in solitary confinement for 41 yes. years was released and died of cancer three days after he was released. You know, there's this line in the song that I love where Ali's like, we'll all be Basquiat's for five minutes or Herman's mm -hmm. for life. Mm -hmm. So when I say build, I mean dream. Like that to me is like the key of this record mm. of like this idea that you are crushed under the boot of so much and either you are going to be oppressed for a very short amount of time or a very long amount of time. So you really got to try to dream your way out of all of this oppression. And I think that the way that Ali renders that is is so powerful to me. They chose Basquiat specifically as in the contrast to Herman Wallace because they represent this kind of other form of oppression. And even if you are vaulted to this idea of being an artist or being a star, you're still being exploited. And, you know, they talk about how Basquiat ultimately couldn't handle this kind of level of stardom and, you know, met drug addiction and 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 ended up suffering and dying at a very young age. So I think it's a really powerful line. And I think that Ali's a very good lyricist as well. And it's cool because yeah. I think a lot of punk bands get kind of tossed aside as having like childish lyrics sometimes, but there's a lot of efficiency in their work. Like Kurdish Radio is another song that I think is incredible and very concise lyrically but very effective
Initially, the song Ali was talking about was kind of inspired by having a conversation with a Muslim friend and they were talking about, you know, remembering what it was like in the post 9-11 world, the Islamophobia and how people were reacting to people of color. And Ali wrote this song kind of in response to that. But then also there's this line that says, is love like Arab oil? Do we take till it's depleted? And I thought it was really interesting that Initially, they're talking about this bigger kind of global issue or at least a national issue. But then they're talking about our kind of perception of love and how it's portrayed in pop culture, maybe. And and are we just exploiting each other? Like, is love something that we kind of like commodify and take from each other rather than actually engaging in um, as equals? I feel like this all got very heavy all of a sudden, but that's just the nature of this. (laughs) What makes a dance record this year important Mm. because there are, you know, obviously one of the biggest dance records of the year is Beyonce's Renaissance, which is political and powerful in its own right. But like, what is this record doing differently? And like, how is it approaching similar topics from a different angle? Part of what is exciting about this is that often in times of severe social political crisis and often as the underrepresented are making music that feels radical or purposefully in contention with that, like dance music booms, right? Like that Mm -hmm. happens every single time there is an actual, like you feel it in the air, social uprising. Mm -hmm. But also on top of that, why I'm so excited about this record is because it feels like it represents community and a city, right? I mean, when we think about dance punk which I think is how we would dub this album. Um, You listen to this, you hear Liquid Liquid, you hear ESG, you also hear more contemporary stuff like Escort and Midnight Magic and like when downtown New York in the 2010s was like slowly again embracing punk as dance Mm. music and disco as punk. It felt like you could feel New York and a movement building. And I feel like with this album, you feel the legs of a movement building behind these artists who are really, really purposeful about saying that punk music is dance, industrial is dance, me singing disco vocals on top of this like loud ass background is dance music. And then it feeling like that, you're moved by it. Like you can't sit still when you're listening to this record. So yeah, I think it's also a lot about like, the the act of dance as revolution and, and using your body as a form of revolution or as protest and how those things shouldn't be separate. So much mm-hmm. of the history of dance music comes from a place of like marginalized communities and like people expressing themselves and like the act of using your body and not like separating the genres as like dance music shouldn't be thought of as frivolous music. When we give something this kind of like, not to like bring it full circle back to the best new music Mm -hmm. of it all. um, Full red circle, you mean. uh (laughs) Uh-huh. There we go. But um, when we are talking about a rising artist who is making something that is this exciting or this something that feels a little bit more like revolutionary, like what does that indicate for you in terms of like 
what you expect from the future or what you like see from an album like this being in the world? Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that honestly, I could see them after making this record, which is like kind of shocking us with this level of, you know, pop and accessibility. I could see them going completely the other direction and making some like weird mm-hmm. jazz freak out record. And honestly, there's this moment on that song Impulse Control that has this like incredible free jazz like piano riff that I was totally not expecting and that like delighted me so much. So I I think I could just see them like expanding on different genres, like perhaps like they will get into like some weird jazz shit or you know more experimental i also feel like new orleans breeds a kind of artist that is really up for exploration i've been spending a lot of time with that don richard album and it feels like every one of her albums is an entirely different move that just sounds exactly like her and i'm just like new orleans something about new orleans yeah i mean special interest signed with rough trade for mm-hmm. this record yeah um, which is you big. know so, so so this is sort of like going from i think it's either a small record label to a pretty medium to large size like indie record label i don't think special interest will ever be headlining coachella i don't think special <laughs> interest will ever be played on the radio but Damn. i think what's, but what i do think this record is doing is raising awareness because this is a band that is there for you when you need it right mm. like they're going to be a band to me that like shows up and if you know, you know, kind of thing. It's like someone passes you this record. It's like, this is important. And when they come and do a small, sweaty, sold out show, like show up because this is going to, this is going to like really move you and change you. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to see this band on tour to take the enormity of these songs and put them in these smaller venues that they're going to play because that's going to be like an experience of a lifetime, I think. Yeah. Well, Madison, if... You love special interests, and if you're just getting into the band, what is on your recommended if you like playlist with them? What else should people listen to? If you're into more of like the aggressive punk like noise of of the record and maybe like their past two records, a couple of older bands that I think would make sense are the Screamers, who I mentioned earlier, the Bags, mm-hmm. who are also out of that like early LA punk scene. More contemporary bands, I would say like Gilla bands earlier work especially Uh, their new record most normal is obviously fantastic we also gave it best new music but their older albums like holding hands with jamie and then the early years ep have a lot of like industrial techno techniques within like guitar music Mm -hmm. that i think would be like you know the fans of both bands would be kindred spirits is there anything in the dance pop realm? Yeah. So Cakes Tequila, because even though it's more in the hip hop realm, uh-huh. like it, it does like go into that house like area. And immediately yeah. just like that, just the attitude of it kind of made me feel like that made sense to me for some reason. Totally. And then if you want something like more old school, like maybe check out some Larry LeVon, to be honest. Can't go wrong with that. Hell yeah. Jeremy, before we go, if you are a huge fan of the Always record, what would you recommend folks listen to? Oh, man. Um, like I mentioned, Lush, they are a wonderful band. They're on 4AD. I would listen to them. I would listen to Big Star. I would listen to The Go-Go's, Belinda Carlisle's first band. Mm-hmm. I would, let's see, uh, what's a record that's about Four Loco? Um, <laughs> Turn Down for What? That's a good one. It's about it's about partying. Um <laughs> That's what I would listen to. I would listen to like the Go Team. 
<laughs> the goat team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Madison and Jeremy, for hanging out. This was so fun. Thank you. This is a hoot. Thanks so much. The Pitchfork Review is a production of Condé Nast. Thanks to Madison Bloom and Jeremy Larson. Catherine Fenelosa at Rococo Punch is our senior producer. James Trout at Rococo Punch is our technical producer. Ryan Domble is our showrunner. Jessica Grimalia is our music supervisor. I'm the editor of Pitchfork, Pooja Patel. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>